Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right. Speaking light into abortion. It's another round of podcasting. Um, a little, little run, little chunk, little stretch <laughs> of guests who are in the Bad Bitch Mastermind with me. So how fun. Welcome to another one of those guests. Heidi, I just had the gift and honor of recording a podcast for your show, and now we're recording a different podcast for my show, and we're just the luckiest. Um, I know, it's really awesome. (laughs) It's so good. I don't even know which order these will come out in, like, so can't say, like, go listen, but just keep looking for our awesome podcast episodes. For the Heidi Um, Amanda crossover. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. And um, once we figure out when those release dates are, I'll make sure to link to that episode in this, in these show notes. But um, I like to start by letting my guests introduce themselves because I feel like what comes out is appropriate for this show, for this day, for this audience. And that doesn't always sound like a bio. So mm-hmm. today I want to talk about... Um, some experience that you've had, well, A, your coaching experience and how it, it relates to some experience you've had around generating momentum and getting unstuck mm-hmm. after experiencing something that has a lot of grief with it. It has a lot of air quote, big, heavy emotions, right? Like how do we yeah. get unstuck when we've been in um, what can be a seemingly dark place for a little while? But first, go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll jump in and we'll have like a million things to talk about and it will be awesome and we won't want to stop talking, but we'll have to and (laughs) everyone can go find Heidi afterwards. (laughs) This is amazing. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your platform with me. I'm so thrilled to be able to share some of my experience, strength and hope with your listeners today. Um, You know, my name is Heidi B. I am the founder of Heidi B Coaching. I help entrepreneurial women use micro strategy to generate momentum in their businesses. But my, my personal story of the transformative power of pain really began of emotional pain uh, really begins around 2008. So, you know, for the past 13 or 14 years, I've been navigating um, various grief and loss and, um, and really discovering my own resilience and the momentum Mm. that's required to just like kind of get through the, you know, get to the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I love more than anything is being able to share my own story of resilience, because I have found that like, by listening to other people's stories of pain, of transformation, of of stepping into their power at some kind of emotional cost or physical cost, um, I discover that like, I'm not alone. And there is such comfort in knowing that I'm not the only person who has painful experiences that it's not like the universe is like out to get me. It's like, sometimes, sometimes this is life on life's terms. And it's just, Mm. is what we get. It's what we get to work with. Right. So I really, um, I'm so grateful to be here today with you. I feel like there was something else. I feel like I was about to head down a totally different tangent, but that's where, that's where we start. 
Well, I already have lots of notes that we could head on a million tangents with. Um, <laughs> some of the words that you said that I loved were just, just experience, strength, and hope. Yummy. Um, the transformative power of emotional pain that feels just, yeah. ugh, it's, it's so good. It's so, um, raw and beautiful, um, to hear more about your stories of resilience. And I, I don't think I've ever heard the words life on life's terms. <laughs> oh, that. that is, I will say, I wish that that was mine. Uh, that's no. definitely something that gets thrown around in 12 yeah. step recovery and in the rooms of alcoholism, alcoholics and, and addicts. But, you know, one of the things that's, that I really like the concept of transformative power of pain, it really reminds me of that saying, I think it's, maybe it's really old. It might be like Winston Churchill or somebody is like, you know, when you're going through hell, don't stop, like mm. keep going. Right. It's like, and that I think really to me is yeah. like really aligned with that transformative power of pain. If I can get, if I'm in a dark place, like there's so much of every part of you that's like screaming, like, just stay in bed. Just don't do this day. Just, you know, just delay it, you know, just do nothing. And it's like, that is stopping in the midst of your yeah. darkest night. And if you can continue to keep going through that darkest night, you will find that not only does your darkest night transform your own life, but that if you're willing to share about your darkest night, if you're willing to kind of like, um, allow other people to hear your story, your roadmap, you know, what is it they say? Your experience becomes someone else's roadmap for survival. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, it really, not only does some of this deep emotional pain transform us personally, but then there's also this ripple effect when we're willing to be appropriately vulnerable with it and share it with people who we know can be benefited by hearing our unique experience. And then that transforms the way that we relate to the world. There becomes like a whole nother um, level of like our why or our purpose. Yeah. And like, it can really help and it can just help soften the blow of like that hard period of time. Oh, so good. Okay. I will find who, who the old probably dude. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> it's probably, probably some dude. old white guy. I mean, it, it does kind of sound like but, an old white guy saying, yeah. like, just bulldoze it through, but there is something powerful too that I really yeah. like it. What I love about it is, um, I, I'm not a particularly religious person. I don't have a belief system around heaven and hell, but when we hear the word hell, we think of this like ending place. Like if you land in hell, that's the end. There's no, <laughs> there's, there's nothing after that. That's you it. just like yeah. rot in hell, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know why, why, where this, um, quote originated, but that really struck me this idea that like, don't stop, keep going. Don't like stop. just keep going. We think of hell as this ending place. But mm. what if we, if we took nothing else, but that like mm. nothing is an ending place. Don't let yeah. yourself get stuck just because it feels like hell. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, for me, one of the clearest, one, one of my own clearest experiences with this was in 2011, I hit rock bottom with my drinking. And I had this kind of like, honestly, it was like a blip of a moment of clarity. I did not have my worst night drinking the night before I got sober. Mm -hmm. My sobriety date is 9, 10, 11 on 9, 9. I was, and that's just like a lucky accident that I've been, that I have that date. I've been able to keep it. But the night before I was out and I was with some friends and it wasn't a bad, it was certainly not the worst night I'd ever had in my drinking. Um, but I woke up in the morning hungover, you know, like when you, I don't know if any of you if anyone can recall, usually this happens in your early twenties, but for those of us that have struggles with alcoholism, this can happen to us in our thirties and forties. You're like super hungover. You wake up at eight o'clock. You're like, you have this moment of like, Oh God, 
I feel good before your hangover, like really kicks in again. So I woke up at eight o'clock and I had this moment of clarity of like, I am either going to die drinking. Um, like my dad did, my dad had drank himself to death three years earlier, Mm. or I'm going to get sober. My mom had like probably 10 years of sobriety under her belt at that time. And, um, and I was like, I just, I can't do this. Right. Because I Mm. will be having watched my father drink himself to death. I was like, I will be lucky if I get in a fiery car wreck on the way home from a bar one night, I will be lucky if I die by like going home with the wrong person and getting murdered or something like I will be what is more likely to happen for me is that I'm going to sit at my kitchen table and drink my life away moment by moment by moment Mm. and like the like the sands of the hourglass are just going to keep slipping through and I'm just going to be chained to this bottle for my life and I had I mean honestly I don't know why I just had that flash of clarity and so I was like you know what I'm done I got to be done I am I'm fucked this is beyond me I cannot fix this I am done Mm. and then I went back to sleep (laughs) Cause like, you know how you do when you like wake up real early on a hangover morning. So I went back to bed and then I woke up probably later around 10 or 10 30. And I immediately thought like, oh my God, I've overcorrected. Like, I don't really, I, that was, I was just being a little dramatic like that, you know, whatever. But for some reason I was willing to stay physically sober and able to stay physically sober for a couple of days before I found, um, 12 step recovery. And I remember, uh, on my way to that very first meeting, I did some searching because I was like, okay, you know, I'm like not really interested in anything that's like religious. I'm not trying to like be part of a cult. I really don't want to be doing this, uh, whatever this is like at a church, because even though my mom had been doing it, for, had been doing 12 step recovery for like a decade, I just didn't know much about it. I just had all these, except that it worked for her. Like once she, she quit drinking and once she started doing 12 step recovery, she did not ever have to drink again. Right. So mm-hmm. I knew that that worked, but I didn't know any of the ins and outs. And so I like got online. I live in a major metropolitan area. I started searching for some kind of like meeting I could go to. I found one that was at a university. I was like, great. I'll go to one at a university. It'll be like secular. It'll be like highly educated. You know, I have just had all this judgment about it. And like, once I made that decision to go, every fiber of my being was like, do not go, you know? And I, so I sat Mm. up on my bed and my brain was like, don't you, don't you fucking dare put a foot on the floor to walk out this house. And I like took two steps and it was like, don't go down those stairs. And I like went down the stairs. It's like, don't get in the car. And I like got in the car and I went to this meeting and I can remember getting there being like, there was somebody outside the meeting who was like a greeter. So sometimes these meetings are held in like, you know, they're all over the place, churches, universities, whatever. It's making me hard to figure out where to go. So somebody will stand outside to say, Hey, welcome. Come on in. Here's how you get to the meeting. So this person was like very nice. And they're like, Hey, welcome. How are you? And I was like, how am I? I'm at it. I'm at, I'm 31 and I'm at an AA meeting. Like, how the fuck do you think I, I mean, I was coming on rap. I mean, you know what I mean? I was just like ranting and raving about how bad I was. And I thought my life was over. Mm. Like, I just thought it was the end talk about feeling like you ended up in hell here. I had my whole life. I had these alcoholic parents and I had done everything I possibly could as a teenager to quote, not be alcoholic, to manage my drinking differently, to have a different life than them. Only, you know, 15 years later at 31 to find that I'd found myself exactly in the place where I had been trying to avoid my whole life. I just thought it was the end of everything. I thought it was the end of who I was, the end of everything fun. How am I ever going to go to a wedding? How am I ever going to get married? I mean, all of the, how am I going to do New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving? Like I thought it was the end. And honestly, it was, I mean, there's so many stories I could tell, but here's the short version, which is that it was the beginning of something entirely new and Mm. divinely inspired. Mm. You know, it was the beginning of, and when I say divinely inspired, I don't mean like 
you know, I'm also, I'm not religious. I'm still not religious. I do have a spiritual path. I believe in some power out there that's greater than me. Um, but it's not like the white guy that looks kind of like that has like a wizard hat on or something. It's just like this loving force that's out there. Yeah. And so when I say that my path was divinely inspired, what I mean is like my purpose got leveled the fuck up. Like I found a whole new sense of purpose. I found a whole new way to show up in the world by really beginning to internalize the idea that like my experiences, good, bad, shitty, stupid, whatever, make me uniquely qualified to help Mm. someone else in this world. And like, Mm. without having had the experience of having had an abortion, I can just say that like, you're the same is true for you, Amanda, that your experience with abortion, when you had it makes you uniquely qualified to help other women out there navigate this. And like, how cool is that to have hit this dark spot to feel like you've been forsaken, always lost. It's the end of the end. The doors are closing in on you. And then suddenly to realize like, whoa, this makes my purpose so much bigger. If I become willing to honor it for myself and like, maybe even willing to talk about it with other people, you know, like it's valuable, even if you don't share it, but if you become willing to share it, it's like, you're plugged in now. Now you are connected to the generator of the energetic generator of the world. It's like, bam, now, now, you know, purpose. Oh, okay. So good. That is exactly how I felt. Like I was in my darkest hour. My life was over. I was going to hate myself forever. All Mm -hmm. possibilities that I had accepted as as true. I also had like hope that, mm-hmm. that those things were not true, but I was like, this could be it. This could be the end. And then what happened is exactly your words. My purpose got leveled the fuck up and I had a new way to show up in the world. Yeah. yeah. And I think, so my podcast day is on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We're recording this and I was planning to put it out like m- next month sometime. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you something. I just recorded a bonus episode with Sarah Magnoni, who is in our oh. mastermind. And Adore her. it was a reading, a channeling mm-hmm. of um, my abortion baby. And mm-hmm. she said the words, um, she said like, I don't want to be disrespectful or something, but she was like, mm-hmm. the way I'm seeing it is it's like a blip. And what a weird word to use, but you literally <laughs> said- it was a blip of a moment of clarity mm. and like that, that is, Oh, I just, got right? <laughs> I know I was like, as soon as you said that word, I wrote it down and circled it. I was like, Whoa. Wow. And that for me, I think I had that too in choosing abortion it was just this blip of a moment of knowing where I was like, this is what you have to do. Yeah. And because I followed that blip, just like you did, right? You had this blip of a moment of clarity that said something has to change. Yeah. This This is is it. Something has to change. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though it didn't stay (laughs) Mm -hmm. longer than a blip, it existed and you could never pretend again it didn't exist. And that was it for me. Like once I knew I had to choose abortion, Mm -hmm. I could never pretend that I didn't know I had to choose abortion. Oh my God. I think that's the most maddening thing about like having the veil lifted or having these moments of clarity. It's like, once you know, you cannot unknow what, what you know. Right. So then it's like, well, this is on the table. Now I know what I had to come to terms with like all this stuff that I thought was like normal drinking. And it turns out like, no, not everybody drinks in the shower before they go out. Like not everybody is like, I had to get like some physical distance from my drinking days to realize like, Oh my God, I had actually been 
I've been trying to avoid being a daily drinker because my dad was like chained to the bottle in his end of days in the last years of his life. And then, and I thought I was doing a good job at it. But when I looked back, I'm like, oh my God, I was still, I was a daily drinker from the time I was probably as soon as I arrived at a university. So I would say from the time I was 18 to the time I was 31, I was drinking probably seven days a week, maybe a few here and there where it was like a four day week of drinking. But it was like, and once I knew that I could not unknow that. And once I knew like, this is not how normal people relate to alcohol. Like I could not unknow that. And then it was like, mm-hmm. oh, now then it's like another moment of like reckoning. Yeah. I feel too, like another point for me was we're so socially conditioned, particularly as women that like motherhood is the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And that like sacrificing ourselves for our children is the most honorable thing we can do. Mm-hmm. And in somewhere in the blip for me was you can choose you like you Mm. don't have to choose motherhood again (laughs) because for me it happened to be after three kids but like yeah in that blip of clarity was the facing the lie that Mm -hmm. a good mom sacrifices a good mom Mm. gives away her time to her children a good mom would keep this pregnancy Yeah. And so once I had that moment of like freedom from that lie, Mm -hmm. from that Mm -hmm. belief system, I couldn't pretend anymore that I had to keep the pregnancy. Yeah. Because I knew that I didn't have to. And yeah, the same for you. Like you don't necessarily see all those things until you scan mm. way out and go mm-hmm. like, oh, what I thought was normal was not normal. <laughs> like, yeah. Or like even just hearing you say like, you know, choosing you is so interesting. So I wrote, a, I wrote and self-published a book called Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Rando, Started Cupcaking My Soulmate. And it's half memoir and half how-to. And in that memoir, I write about a decision I made to choose myself to leave my first marriage, which was incredibly toxic, which my dad died in 2008. I left my my marriage in 2010. I got sober in 2011. I mean, talk about a Saturn return. I was 28 to 30 during that time and really like lit a match to my life and burned it to the ground in a way that was like pretty dramatic. Right. And, um, but in that moment of leaving that marriage, I remember being like, I have to choose, I'm suffocating. I have to choose me. But I, and I said that internally. And then when I was thinking about, you know, as, as my, as the pieces were crumbling and becoming, getting sober was becoming more and more of a reality for me. I actually remember I made a call to a, like some kind of like healthcare. I was trying to see if I could get into treatment. Like I didn't, I wasn't sure if I needed it kind of seemed like a nice little, I was like, I could take a 30 day vacation. Like let's try this out, you know, like life's pretty chaotic. I could use a little, uh, you know, a a retreat from that. So I had called uh, a nurse. I ended up on the phone with a nurse who was like, well, you know, what are you thinking about this or that? And I'm like, well, you know, one of the things that I'm really stuck on is that my ex used to say to me, my ex-husband used to say to me all the time, like, where would you be without me? You just have to go back to Iowa without me, without me, you would be Uh, nothing, but you know, all this stuff about without him. And, you know, she was like, and so I was like, I cannot like surrender to this disease. Like I cannot just like, Oh, you know, kind of like, I cannot accept this because then he'll be right. That without him, my life went off the rails and I had to get sober and I had to go to rehab and like, you know, he'll be right. And she was like, honestly, is it worth ruining your life over just so that he's not right? 
Like you can choose yourself regardless of what it means about him. And, you know, it didn't mean that about him. Anyway, it was just a story I was telling myself about what, you know, my enmeshment with him had me telling myself this story about what my sobriety would mean about his power in my life, you know? And she was just like, you can choose you. Um, and you can choose to have a life that's like not circling the drain just in order to prove to him that like you're, fu- you know what I mean? She basically just made it really clear that I was able to choose myself. And it was a really powerful moment for me to yeah. go like, oh yeah, like I'm in charge here. Like I am, I have control of my destiny and like, I can do something different if I want to, regardless of, you know, these old filters and these old stories and this, you know, the cultural stigma around, you know, it's not anywhere near the stigma around abortion, I don't think, but there is stigma around alcoholism and addiction. And so it was like, okay, you know, I just have to kind of like put these blinders on and just do something that's going to help me stay alive and sane. Yeah. That question, where would you be without me? Like the answer I hear is with me, right? Like (laughs) where would I be without you, whoever you are, an abusive ex or like Mm -hmm. a boss or a, it doesn't Mm -hmm. literally doesn't matter. a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And the answer is with me. And that Mm -hmm. is like, that's the deepest work we'll ever do is to choose to be with ourselves. Yeah. And it was scary at that time in 2011, the idea of me being with me, I was not into it. I was not having it. It wasn't very appealing to me (laughs) now today it's different right like because of the you know because of the way I move in the world and relate to the world now it's like oh my god like of course I love that for me (laughs) but back then I did not know right which makes it even more scary which makes it Mm -hmm. even more incredible that you that you moved through that yeah can you go back to um so you have this moment of clarity And then when you were talking about, I was thinking about the people who are listening, who are still Mm -hmm. deciding about Mm -hmm. abortion. Yeah. Yeah. I I talked to a lot of people who are like, I made three appointments and I just couldn't go through, couldn't go through, couldn't go through. I was thinking about them when you talked about, um, you know, I, I knew what to do, but the next morning I was like, no, don't do it. No, don't do it. (laughs) And so I don't know if it looks like overcoming the resistance, working with the resistance, moving through or past the resistance? Like, what is it to you to get you to not let that resistance be in charge? Well, it's, I mean, there is a difference in kind here because what happened for me was, you know, I had that moment of clarity. And then for three days, I just kind of like sat on, I kind of just like locked myself in my room for three days. You know, I was like, you know, I had gone to Trader Joe's. So I had a good amount of like snacks on hand. I was eating those chocolate covered almonds and some yogurt pretzels, lots of sugar. If anyone's out there that's quitting drinking and you don't know why you're eating, you're craving sugar, it's because alcohol is all sugar. So all you do that first couple of months is just like, oh, I got sober in the fall. I ate all those candy pumpkins were like, I was just bags and bags of candy. Pumpkins. Anyway. So I like locked myself in my room for three days. Cause I was afraid to go out. I was like afraid of what would happen if I walked out the door. Like, was I going to just like end up at a bar? What was going to happen? And so finally on, you know, the third day I was like, I feel pretty bad. And I think there's a better solution than me just trying to like not drink. So that was when I had looked up to looked up the AA meetings, the 12 step meetings in, in the area and decided to go to one. And the first one I went to, of course, this is kind of a funny story. I had been like dating, like a maniac in my end of drinking. I just, anything to not be by myself, anything to not feel. I had set up a date with this guy who wanted to meet at a coffee shop. And I remember being like, ew, like, why would, why would we do that? (laughs) 
Uh, and I met him at this coffee shop. And by the time I got there, he was already like, his coffee was halfway gone. And so I got mine, I got my coffee and we started talking and then his coffee was finished. And he was like, I'm going to get another coffee. And I was like, you know what? Like, see you never, like, not interested, you know, I'll, whatever. So fast forward two weeks later, I'm going to my first AA meeting. I haven't showered in three days. I'm like chain smoking, like a maniac, like, ch like a chimney. I walked to this meeting and that guy was the greeter at, he was like, hi, how are you? And I was like, no oh, way. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm like, uh, I'm, you know, and I told him, I'm like, I, how, you know, like I said, I had that response with him. So after that meeting, I was like, I cannot go back to that. There's no way. The other thing that happened for me in that meeting is I could not say the A word. I just really, I knew I needed huh. to be there. Wait, how many of my <laughs> listeners are like, I cannot say the A word. Cannot say the A word. Yeah. Right. And like, I just felt like if I raise my hand in this meeting and say, you know, I'm Heidi, I'm an alcoholic, yeah. which today it's like no big deal. But that first day I was like, I cannot. So I just raised my hand and said, I'm new, I'm Heidi. And they were like, welcome, you know, whatever. Because I just felt like if I say that A word, it will forever change the course of my existence. I will never be able to drink again. I will never be able to have fun again. I will never be able to, you know, whatever. And I just, looking back on it, if only it were as easy as saying, I'm Heidi, I'm an alcoholic. If only that was all that was required to get and stay sober. How many people would be alive yeah. today that are dead from this disease? How many people would have a different, like, God, I just, hindsight's 2020. I wish it was that easy. So the first day I just did not say the A word. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the next day I had to go, I was like, I think I need to do this because I do feel better. You know, after it was over, despite having run into the coffee guy, I felt like, oh my God, I feel so much better. I should do this again. But obviously I can't come back here. Like I can't see this guy again. Like I can't see any of these people again. So I had to like go search for another meeting the next day. You know, find, like I said, I had all these requirements about what it could be. And anyway, I just kept, trying different meetings, different support groups until I found a group of people that like felt like my people that were comforting, that were welcoming. And that's what everyone in the recovery community, that's what people say, just like, keep coming back. Don't drink mm. in between. And so, you know, it just took, it was a matter of kind of staying in action and trusting a process that like, I didn't really know that I didn't appreciate that. I didn't know anything about and being willing to be uncomfortable while I built some new tools. Cause that I think actually is one of the mm. biggest, I think that this is relevant to anyone that's had an abortion as well, but you could let me know. I think one of the things that's so challenging about recovery is that the one tool that you really have that works drinking or drugs or whatever, uh, it, by the time you find 12 step, usually that has stopped working. <laughs> that tool is no longer working for you. It's actually kind of turned on you and it's fucking up your life in a way that you can't stop. So then you put that one tool that has historically worked for a really long time, you put it aside and now you have no tools and you're supposed to feel your feelings and you're supposed to feel like, oh, but wait, that old, that old, that works back there. That old tool, like that old idea of like, well, maybe I should carry this pregnancy to term because that's what a, a mother air quote mother does. Well, right? yeah. When you said your tools, I think for a lot of my audience, their tool is people pleasing. Right. I'm mm -hmm. just going to keep the pregnancy because I should, I don't want to offend yes. anyone. I don't want right. whatever, all the things. Right. That's and there's this period of like extreme discomfort when you set the old tool aside, whether it's alcohol or people pleasing, and you are working to build some new tools, whether that's like a spiritual path or boundaries or whatever it is, it, they don't come overnight. So you're in this period of like six to 12 to two years, you know, six months, 12 months, two years, well, you're really just trying to like 
And honestly, I think it was in the building of the new tools that I discovered this idea of like done is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. I just have to practice using these. I'm not going to be great at them all the time. I'm just going to pick them up as often as I can. I'm going to try to use them. And if I do good, at, if I use them right, awesome. If I don't, then I'm going to try it again tomorrow. Right. And so it was yes. like, there are so many lessons of, you know, building this toolkit through recovery that I actually use in business and also in like every other area of my life, because mm-hmm. that's really where I learned like that sometimes I need to pause and pick up no tools, especially as a people pleaser. I need to send no messages no emails. The phone's got to go in the freezer, shut it down, go for a walk, do something that is not people pleasing related, you know? Um, so I had to learn to pause. I had to learn to reach for new tools that were uncomfortable. I had, I learned that I could withstand the, the physical and emotional discomfort of being with my mind, being with myself. Mm-hmm. I had to, I had to revisit the grief that I experienced around the death of my father in 2008. I was not sober when he died. And I thought I had processed all that. I thought I'd gone to therapy. I mean, I'd gone to therapy. I'd done all the stuff, um, but I had more work to do in the uh, emotional bandwidth that sobriety offered me. So, you know, that period of time where you're really trying to build some new tools and and stop reaching for the old stuff, that is the most uncomfortable (laughs) period of time. And it's like the biggest ask that we make of, of people who are struggling with their alcoholism and addiction, but then of also really anyone who's trying to like, try something different that serves their higher good and their purpose. Ah, it's so good. And I mean, that's how you generate momentum, right? Yeah. That you generate momentum by this willingness to be uncomfortable and not Mm -hmm. get it right or have it not work every time. Like, wait, that worked last time. Why didn't it work this time? Exactly. And just keep trying on new things Mm. and keep trying on the the same thing over and over. Yes. And one of the things I love about you mentioning the word willingness is I learned the difference between like willingness and wantingness, which I'd always, I'm like, well, of course it's easy to be willing to do something when I want to do it. Like I want to hop on here with you and chit chat all day. So that's like really easy to be willing to do that. It's really hard to become willing to do something that I don't want to do, but that I've gotten a suggestion from, I've gotten the suggestion to do either from like some deep intuition or someone I trust. Um, or, you know, it's like, I'm not saying you should be out here taking everybody's suggestions, but like, you know, when you get a good suggestion and it's not aligned with what you want to do, that is when we start to really exercise willingness around like, I know this will be good for me. I trust this person that has suggested it. I don't. And perfectionism kind of tampers that down too, right? Cause then we're like, well, I'm not gonna be able to do it perfect. So I don't even know if I should try. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Am I willing to go through the journey? of figuring this out. Yeah. Because, and there is still some want, right? Because, because I want, I don't want to do it, but I want what's on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I know I can experience freedom or relief or comfort Mm -hmm. on the other side. If I am willing to kind of reconcile with uh, the dark parts of myself or with what sobriety brings to me and my mental bandwidth or whatever it is. Right. So, um, yeah, willingness and wantingness and the distinction between the two is something that I think is so important to just at least like have on, on my personal radar. And I, I just love that you that you mentioned the word willingness. I love that. I love that so much. So good. Is there anything we haven't talked about in terms mm. of, you know, finding your your aliveness again mm. after grieving that you think would be helpful and should yeah. be, I mean, there's probably a million things, but yeah. like there are two things. things. Yeah, go ahead. 
two things that come to mind. And this was some, one of the things I really like. Um, my mom used to say this to me a lot when I was lost in the darkness of my alcoholism and in the darkness of my grief around my dad's death. And she would just be like, you know, Heidi, today, any action is good action. If you can get up, mm. get out of bed, make your bed, maybe you can make yourself some frozen waffles, or maybe mm. you take yourself to, to breakfast. Like today, any action is good action. And that really mm. helped me um, get out of the idea of like, oh, but it ha- I have to get up and do X, Y, and Z and gave me yes. some permission to just get up and do anything, um, which is, which was useful, especially in the, the, darkest, nastiest moments of, uh, of grief. And, um, and then the other thing that came to mind, uh, what is it now? I've lost my train of thought, but, um, in terms of building momentum in these darkest days, I, I do also think like done is better than perfect. It's kind of along those mm-hmm. same lines of, yeah. you know, getting up and just any action is good action done is better than perfect. And, um, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. It's okay. Maybe it'll come back to you when (laughs) you said today, any action is good action. Um, I did one of those, like, you know, it's basically like a real or a little video that keeps flashing Mm -hmm. cards or sayings or something. And then you like screenshot it. And that's like Mm -hmm. your message to carry for the day. I did that this morning. I haven't done that in a long time. I can't credit I can in the show notes because I'll find it, but I can't off the top of my head remember whose it was. But mm-hmm. the um, the words that I screenshotted, I think are really beautiful. And they were, even here, mm-hmm. I can know peace. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not perfect. It's not what I want. I'm not there, whatever there mm-hmm. is. But even here... I can, I can know peace even here. Maybe I'm not going to take the grandest, most spectacular action of my dream. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that's going to land me the finale, but any action, even here, any action, action. I think hearing that, uh, I know this isn't what I was originally thinking of, but it is valuable, which is to say that uh, if you are struggling with grief uh, around really anything, if you, you know, if you're struggling with grief and darkness, like stop trying to do it alone, find somebody, find some community, find a support group, find a 12 step, find a coach, find a group, find somewhere that you can surface and talk about what's going on because inevitably you will not be the only person that's had that. It's just the, the, the beauty of a shared lived experience, I think is such good healing balm for really anyone who is, um, feeling that darkness and that sense of aloneness or or like, or that sense of like separate from or different than. So, you know, it's, it is like, and I will tell you, like I said, every fiber of my being was screaming at me not to find a a group of people to help me with this. And I had to just do it anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just do it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, It's just knowing and learning when the just do it anyway is coming from intuition Mm -hmm. and the highest good versus, versus some other thing or like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. So many good little nuggets for people to walk away with. Um, Thank you. You are welcome. What a treat. Yeah. It was really, really fun. Um, Where can people find you? Yeah. I live on Instagram. I'm at Heidi B coaching. That is where you will find me. Send me a DM, get at me. I love chatting with people in my DMs. I'm always answering those. Um, I have a website as well, Heidi You can check that out. 
Um, and then I also have a podcast of my own, the Heidi B show and Amanda will be a guest on it. Either she's been a guest or she'll be on shortly. Uh, so you can go kind of filter through there and, um, find our chat on my show, which was awesome. I love having you. Um, but those are the main channels. So get at me. I love, yeah. I love talking about all the things I'm, I'm, I'm basically an open book. So, you know, Good. I love to talk. Yeah. And I actually love that, you know, the more guests we can have on that, um, draw the parallel around like grief is grief, darkness is darkness and no, they're not all the same, but the tools we use to navigate our way through them are the same. And so that to me is one of the beautiful things about abortion work is like, once you learn those tools and integrate them into your system, you get to use them and apply them in everything in your life. And for you, that was like, once I moved through the other hard things in my life, the loss of my dad, the end of a relationship, the alcoholism, mm-hmm. I get to use those tools everywhere. And they're everywhere all, else. They're all the same. And they're good. And they're, they're good. good. Well, I'm just like, I'm so glad to be on here because I, like I said, I'm not religious, but Amanda, I feel like you were out here doing the Lord's work. It is value. It is incredible work that you do. It's so important. The ripple effect is like beyond what you see every day because, mm-hmm. you know, there is nothing. There is nothing um, more impactful, I think, in the world than a woman coming to terms with her own pain and grief, experiencing that transformative power of pain, and then like, you know, having relating to the world in a different way, because then she really steps into her own leveled up purpose and, you know, on and on and on. So Mm. I just, I think it's brilliant. I love, I love the work you do. Mm. I receive that. I thank you. And I'm so excited to add this episode. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.